This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a Sunday morning. Welcome to LinkedIn Live. I'm your host, Mark Stucheski, also known as MrProductivity.com. There's my website. If you go there, you can get my top five productivity tips. Find out about my brand new digital productivity coaching program. Do you know I can coach you for less than a dollar a day? No joke. Go to mrproductivity.com to find out more information or to go to my profile here on LinkedIn. I am super excited to have you here. If you are watching live, please, in the comments, let us know two things. Can you see us? Can you hear us? And where are you tuning in from? Because we're really excited to talk to you today. On the show today, I, I almost got confused because believe it or not, I've got an Amanda on the show today and an Amanda on the show tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, say Monday. I got really confused, but this is Amanda Semenov. And uh, so she's not the other Amanda. We'll tell you about that tomorrow. But uh, Amanda, welcome to my LinkedIn live. So excited to be here. And Junette, she just is, I hope I said your name right, Junette. Is it Junette? Yes, Junette. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I'm assuming you can hear us because you didn't say we can't hear you. So before we get started, Amanda, who in the world are you and what do you do? <laughs> I am a civil mediator and conflict engagement professional. I live in New Westminster, BC, Canada, which is on the left coast of Canada. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I uh, I love conflict and helping people work through weird problems, sticky situations and all kinds of conflict. So you like conflict. Do you mean that you like to engage in conflict or you'd like to help people deal with conflict or both? Well, I just, I find it really powerful. So where conflict is, is where stuff matters to people. Mm. And if you can get through the conflict, you can get everyone to a much better place. So once you're in it, it's one of those things you've got to go through. And mm. once you're through, you can get to somewhere where relationships are better, where you're in a space where you're honoring who you need to be in the world more. A lot of conflict comes up from, you know, having boundaries violated or not living true to our values or these pieces where stuff's happened and we're not happy. And so to be able to work through that conflict, you can get to somewhere where you're living the way you want to be. You're showing up in relationships, how you want to be in those relationships. And and you're living in ways that feel really positive and empowered. And at the end of the day, you are who you need to be. And And that's really important. I mean, there's lots of times in life where we're not so proud of how maybe we behaved. Mm-hmm. Like something triggered us. We, we did something we're not so proud of. We weren't our best selves in that moment. And, and working through that conflict and being able to engage with people in a way that, um, that really honors who they are, what happened before and allows you to move to a new place, uh, is just really powerful. So why conflict resolution? What was there something in your life that, uh, prompted you to get into this or were you always interested in conflict resolution? Tell us about the genesis of your, your current occupation. It, it's, it's been a long journey. Uh, my family would tell you I've been the mediator in the family since I was about four. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's always been my role um, in kind of in my family role. And then in friend groups, like I was that person. Um, there'd always been this kind of dialogue about how you can't make a living doing conflict resolution that only a few people get to make a living doing this work. But generally, 
it is a volunteer thing or it's through church or it's through some organization and nobody does it as a living. And then I was sort of taking a few courses as a hobby and looking around and, and seeing a whole bunch of other people do it as a living. And I'm like, oh, this could be done. Um, and then when my kids were really, really little and I was like, you know what? Let's just roll the dice, take a chance, give myself a runway to see can I make enough money doing this work to be able to actually make it a career? And the answer is absolutely you can. It's just a lot of work in the beginning. Well, I think anything worth doing takes a lot of work. I mean, I'm a productivity expert and I'm not the only productivity expert, but I got my own little unique spin on it. And there are people who love working with me and there are people who don't like working with me. Maybe because I don't have any hair, maybe because I'm a man. I don't know what the case may be, but I think you need to find the person that, you know, you can resonate with the best. I, you know, when, when you first signed up to be on this live, I remembered, I thought, I said, when have I ever really dealt with you know, conflict. And I, I wanted to go outside of friends and outside of family. And I remember I was working for a store many years ago. I would even say another lifetime ago. And I was just the guy, I would have a full-time job, a full-time family. And I would come in at night and I help with the inventory and the girls in the store they're I think at the time I was like about 40 and they were like about maybe 19 or 20 years old. And there's two of them, they were sisters and a customer came in and he was livid. Something went wrong. I don't remember all the details. And he was, you know, really, you know, uh, let's say it was a Christian store and he was not being too Christian. Let's put it that way. And so I, I wanted up there because, you know, I was, it was like, you know, it was later toward night close, close to climate closing time. And I'm like, can I help you? And the guy says, you a manager now, because I was like double their age, I guess he thought I was a manager. And one thing I did that really, I, I didn't have any training on this. I didn't go to school or take class. I just listened to him. And just by me listening to him, he calmed down. And I think he just wanted to be heard. And then, you know, we eventually replaced the item and he walked away happy. But I think a lot of people, and tell me if I'm wrong, when they're in a conflict, Instead of listening, they want to get louder and make sure their voice is heard, which I guess is the exact wrong thing to do, right? Well, it really depends, right? So you didn't have an emotional charge on the other side. So he wasn't attacking you. He was angry about something. And luckily, you had the space to be able to listen to him. Um, so what often happens when we get into a real conflict is it's with us. So if he'd come in and he'd been like, you, Mark. Right. Then it's just it's a very different ability to take that space and listen. So when we know somebody's really angry, there can be this this real need to make yourself safe as well. So maybe, you know, older, larger, stronger guy, you feel safe in that moment. Um, your 19, 20 year old store clerk might not have felt safe in that moment with somebody that's come in and is really angry and is using languages. They wonder, like, is the next step going to be an escalation that puts us in danger? Mm. And as soon as that kind of happens, then our brain starts needing to push back because it's trying to create the barriers that make us safe. Uh, and the listening piece is really key to bringing people down that, like, I hear that you're really angry. Tell me more about that will bring people down. But as soon as we're triggered or we feel unsafe or we feel attacked, that's really hard to do. Mm. It does. It does take that little bit of distance to be able to say, hey, what's what's going on there for you that you feel like this behavior is necessary right now? 
I can tell you I've had you know, I'm 50 I've been on this planet 55 years and I can tell you that when somebody triggers me if I just react it doesn't really end well I've never been in fisticuffs no one's ever pulled a gun on me but it's like if they're already heated well why would I want to pour gas on the uh, on the situation sometimes if someone cuts you off you know back in the day I used to flip the finger you know I'm like, you know, nowadays people have a hair hair trigger now, and I would not want to like do that now. And all of a sudden they're following me because we've seen stories in the news where someone cut someone off. It may have been completely innocent. They may not have even been thinking about it. They weren't out to target you and these and these people follow you home and then maybe they shoot you or beat you up. And like, you know what? I asked myself, is it really that important? I mean, is it really that important? They cut me off. I'm just let them go because I don't want to get in that conflict. And, and sometimes you have to get in conflict. Okay. Someone, you know, well, I won't say break into your house. That's not really a conflict. That's a different, uh, different animal. But if someone cuts you off in traffic or, you know, cuts in line at you at the restaurant, you know, is it really worth saying something, especially if they don't look happy, if they look like they can like knock you to the ground with one punch? I'm like, eh. It's a minor thing. And I think we have to, uh, someone told me many years ago to choose your battles, you know, and sometimes it's not worth the opening your mouth. Sometimes like, uh, whatever, just go ahead, dude. It's just, it's better that way. No, that's a really big point because you also don't want to have to take the time and energy to resolve everything. Um, <laughs> right. Like you just, you can't, it's not worth it. Lots of stuff will figure itself out if you ignore it. Right. Like this is, this is a real thing. You can't ignore stuff and sometimes it will just figure itself out. Um, but there's sort of, there's a couple tests I always put through to people. Like the first is if you're still thinking about it at bedtime, you need to figure it out tomorrow, right? You mm. actually, right? Like if you can't sleep because you're thinking about that interaction that happened, right? If you're embarrassed about how you behaved, there's probably a little bit of something you might want to do there. Um, or if getting it solved matters. So, you know, it, right now, when people are at home a lot more than they used to be, Mm -hmm. A lot of people around the world are working from home in ways they maybe didn't used to. The home space has become full of conflicts we didn't used to have because we're on top of one another without the ability necessarily to leave. And these might be within our family. Often they're with neighbors, right? Especially, you know, if you share fence lines and, you know, if your neighbor shows up at your front door at like 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning to tell you that today you have to cut down your apple tree, and you're sitting there going, but I really like that apple tree. Your intention is to tell him it's on my property. Get lost. Mm -hmm. Right. That's and maybe that's true and maybe that's valid. Um, but you don't know anything about why that question's coming up in the moment. Right. And so it's this space of my neighbor has made a demand. And what they've really done is they've put forward a proposal that meets their needs for some reason. And you have no idea what needs it meets. Right. That, so they've, sh they've shown to say, Hey, I have needs and here is something that would work for me. And you're sitting there going, well, it doesn't work for me. And to be able to take that space to say, okay, so what about the apple tree? Do you need to have changed? It could be that there's a branch that's dropping something on their kids, right? Or mm. there's a there's something that feels unsafe or there's a piece of it that they're concerned about that is very different than that whole thing needs to come down. Um, we see with shared driveways. We see with 
um, noise issues in apartments with the elevator right now, people trying to figure out how you share and use an elevator mm-hmm. in a time where emotions about being in small spaces are very high, right? <laughs> these, these pieces. And so like this, like, what is it about this thing that meets your needs? And like, are there any other ways we could get those met? that also meet my needs gives us a space to solve something. And sometimes there's still a gap there that what I want and what you want are going to be the same thing. And we can't quite get all the way, but if we can get closer, that little end negotiation is often about something that's so much smaller, right? And we've taken the power out of it that at the end, even if I don't get my way or you don't get my way, we're likely to still be okay with one another. So we'll still, you know, friendly wave in the morning, you know, I'll still let you know that your dog got out or whatever, <laughs> whatever those pieces are. Right. I'll watch your house for you if there's been break ins in the neighborhood, but we're still OK. And that's really powerful. That shift from here's something that feels weird in the moment that we fight about a little bit might not be super high powered, but has the ability to damage our relationship. I believe that most human beings, and I mean, high 90 percent worldwide are nice people, okay? And when that person cuts you off on the, on the highway, they're not doing it to be vindictive. They're not doing it to cause conflict. They, For all you know, maybe a loved one has been rushed to the hospital or maybe their child is sick in school. And what happens is we assume that that person looked at our car and says, you know what? I don't like the color of that car. I'm going to cut them off. We just jump to these conclusions well, they could be completely false. And so I believe most people are nice people. I believe most people don't want conflict. Yes, there are a segment of the world population that thrives on conflict. They love arguments. But I believe most people have the best interest of the human beings in, in on the planet in mind. And they just want, like going back to the tree or the driveway, but maybe they come off wrong or maybe you're not in a good mood that day and it just triggers you. And I think we need to accept the fact that most people are not out to get you or to cause conflict. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. The The space that becomes difficult is when we're both emotionally charged about mm. something. And where you see it really easily is like any news about politics right now. Yes. Right? Any news about politics, right? You can see just how important this is to people. It feels life or death. And for some people, it might be, right? That things going one way or the other may really, really change what their life looks like in the future. Or at least it feels today like it may change what their life looks like in the future. These feel like really high stakes, right? Um, and in that, right, it's like the negotiation that is an all or nothing piece, Right. So if you're like, if you've been in a flood and your insurance company says, we're not going to insure you. And you say, but you said you'd insure me. And now you're having this conversation about whether or not you qualify for insurance. Right. This is a huge big deal. This is the difference between I can rebuild and restart my life and I'm in a huge pile of debt and I don't know what to do. These are really big deals. They have huge emotional charge. It's, it's hard sometimes in those spaces to behave well. Because they really matter, right? Mm. The lizard brain in us is not designed to have nice conversations about these things, <laughs> right? Yes. Regardless of how lovely everybody in the conversation might be in a different space. What about 
Well, let me ask you this question. Where do you see the most conflict? Is it people we know or people we don't know? I think I know the answer. I just want to hear what your thoughts are. Um, it depends on how people define conflict. The ones that eat all of your time and energy are always with people you know. Okay. Right. Like the big ones, the ones like, I mean, think, think about like your kind of your big conflicts. These are things at work, the kinds of things that get somebody fired, mm-hmm. right? The kinds of things that cause people to lose something like 80% of people that quit a job quit because of conflict at work. Really? Um, yeah. So wow. You're, you're leaving a bad boss. You're leaving a toxic workplace. Like if you are quitting to nothing, you're quitting because there's something about the environment that is conflictual and toxic. Wow. Um, when you look at startups for businesses, so co-founding teams, uh, some work by Noam Wasserman, and it's probably 15 years old now. And so I don't know how much of it is is still true today, but 90% of startups fail. 60% of those startups fail because of co-founder conflict. Hmm. Right. So this is people that can't get themselves on the same page about where they're going or they don't agree about what the next steps are. And so right now we're seeing that in businesses that need to pivot to figure out how they operate in the current global situation. Right. So whether that's changes in regulations, whether that's changes in in customer comfort. So here restaurants are open. And. And most of them are below their coronavirus safety uh, threshold. People aren't comfortable going. So if you own a restaurant, you have to figure out how to be open right now and what that looks like. And so you'll see some teams decide to close. You'll see some groups decide to try something and stay open differently. But within that group, they have to agree to figure out what they're going to do. And these are big stakes decisions. And making the wrong one could involve a bankruptcy. And so in these big stakes decisions, trying to figure out which way we go often means that we have very different assumptions about where the world will be in six months. And sometimes we feel very confident about those. When we're in an argument, we get much more confident about our future assumptions. So, you know, if you're talking about what the timeline for, you know, a solution for something or the timeline for becoming profitable or the timeline for making things work, once we're in an argument, I am very sure of my side and you're very sure of your side. And so once we can back that off and ask some questions, okay, so how sure are you that people will come back in six months? What of the changes people have made do you think will stick? If you're a company managing office buildings right now and you have seen a 90% decline in people coming into the office, you know, in two years, do you think they're coming back? If you think in two years they're coming back, you're making very different business decisions right now than if you don't. And so within your decision-making group, being able to clearly lay out those assumptions gives you the groundwork you're working from. If you think in two years, we will be exactly back where we were used to be, and I think everything has changed, then kind of working out that space to be able to strat- strategize and plan. So if everybody comes back, if nobody comes back, if there's a middle ground, 
what are the different scenarios we can plan through instead of arguing about which one of us is likely to be right is Mm -hmm. very powerful. Hey there, it's Mark. I just wanted to hop in here real quick to invite you to check out my website, mrproductivity.com for the date of my next live training to get my top five productivity tips and so much more. It all happens over at mrproductivity.com. When we have high anxiety, when we're stressed, when we're seeing our company go from profitable to negatively profitable and we're getting bank calls, it's hard to take that step back without somebody to help you. Like it can be very, very difficult. So that's like often that's my job. I'm saying, hey, where does that assumption come from? How certain are you about it? What's underlying it? You know, what what are you thinking? in in this space like let's let's pull apart your thinking and figure out what of it is really certain what of it is fear right how real are those fears is actually no one going to come back is that a realistic fear is everybody come going to come back is that a realistic outcome it might be my preferred outcome right mm-hmm. i might really like that idea i might be holding on to it cuz i'm scared of the other options um Everything else seems scary. If we can just pretend everything will be normal, normal, whatever that means, in a year, then maybe I don't have to change anything right now. And change is always scary, right? Mm-hmm. And so that space of what what's underlying that? And if we can get to there, then we can build to a place that's that's actually really powerful. Those are the businesses that survive. The ones that can say, here's like the the pessimistic and the optimistic, those are the bumpers in which we have to plan, right? I mean, there's some businesses that are killed by too little businesses, and there's some that are killed by not being ready for too much. Mm, good right? point. Like, if you've ever been flooded with orders from Walmart, <laughs> right? Like, like, like that can kill your business just as quickly as too little. And so it's like, yep. what are the bumpers that we need to operate in? And so you need that optimist and you need that pessimist. But once things get a little scary, they have a lot of trouble communicating. That's a good point. Let's let's draw back to the personal conflict that we probably have on a regular basis, whether it's with our spouse and our kids. So let's say in the next hour or two, we have, we run into a conflict with someone is in our inner circle. Let's say it's a, a human being in our house. What What are some simple things that we can do when that conflict arises uh, so it doesn't, you know, we don't say things we're going to regret. We don't, it doesn't explode. What are some really practical things that we can do to um, make sure that doesn't happen? So somebody's displaying really high emotion at me, let's say. Mm-hmm. The first thing is I take a step back and I take a breath. So giving them just a little bit of space can calm the back of their brain down, right? So if you step towards somebody that's really escalated, it feels mm-hmm. aggressive. Mm-hmm. It might not be aggressive. You might just be walking into the kitchen, right? But it feels aggressive as soon as we're triggered. Then the next thing to do is to remind yourself that they are having an emotional reaction. It's not about you, right? Right, So it's not not about you. Somebody is angry. I might have done something and it might have triggered anger, but the angry itself is not about me. And then you want to get to what's going on. Because sometimes it is something that, I mean, I maybe I did something and maybe I need to apologize or take ownership for or explore whatever that is so it doesn't happen again. Um, and maybe they're just having a really bad day and that thing that happened is the last straw, mm. right? And 
you know, maybe they've been doom scrolling Twitter <laughs> and, and they're at a point where they're not coping. And that little thing that you didn't even notice was the last thing they could handle because psychologically they're not in a great place right now. And then that, like, just labeling what you're seeing, people will correct you if you're wrong, right? Wow, you seem really angry right now. You seem really frustrated. You seem really sad, right? I'm seeing this. Oh, your shoulders seem really tense and you're not responding to me, right? You, like, label what you're seeing, right? Not like, wow, you're always so mad at me or, like, that That means, like, why are you so mad at me is a really... <laughs> Right. Like this yep. is not a good way to start a conversation <laughs> is like because part of it is you're kind of taking the focus. Right. And part of it is that chances are you're wrong. And of course, the word always really is like pouring more gasoline on the fire because nobody is always a certain way. Absolutely. <laughs> right. They're, they're not never. They're not always. But in that space of like wow, this feels personal. You've kind of taken their emotion and you're sort of using it in the middle space. Like you need to fix yourself so that I can feel better about how my day's going is a really, really hard thing to hear. And and it's often how things are interpreted, right? You know, you have a kid and they're really, really upset about something. Like I'm, my kids are 10 and 12. They fight on a regular basis about things where you're like, are we really screaming loud enough <laughs> that my clients can hear you over Zoom because one of you won't share a specific pencil crayon color? <laughs> Say, just as an example, right? Not, yeah. not anything specific that's ever really happened, just an example. But when you when you talk about it, it's actually about like boundary violations of who's using whose stuff and things that they are worried will go missing and things that are special to them and the ability to get their homework done on time and all of these other pieces, it has nothing to do with that pencil crayon. Mm. Right. And when you've checked some of those out, like what's actually going on here, it's never this fight, right? Like nobody gets divorced because of a glass left on the counter, <laughs> except that people get divorced all the time because of a glass left on the counter. Mm. Right. And so it's like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that I think that that you are in a position to clean up after me all the time? Do you think, right? Like, what assumptions have gone into this? Like, what else does it represent? When we're fighting with people in our space, usually it's because this behavior represents some other underlying issue. Mm -hmm. is isn't about who left the dishes out or who refused to do this chore Right. It's not about who had to take, you know, a week off of work because now the kids have to come home from school because one of them is coughing or whatever, whatever those pieces happen to be. It's about this sort of underlying piece of does our relationship feel fair and equitable? Do I feel like I'm treated with my full human dignity? Right. Like, do I feel like my needs are taken into account when the people in relationships with me make decisions? And so these things come up all the time. Right. You always have that friend that organizes everything. And then one day you have a moment and suddenly they're like, I'm so tired of organizing everything. <laughs> and you're like, yep. I thought you liked that. Right? <laughs> like I, and so you're sitting here and suddenly there's this fight and you're like, so what's going on here? Mm. Like suddenly things have felt unbalanced for them. And usually they've been going along thinking this isn't that big a deal, but it is that big a deal. Yeah. And then it comes up 
when it's no longer something that they can broach calmly. Right? You know, it's interesting you bring that up because right now, my parents, my mom is 76, my mom is, my dad's 79. My mom's got late onset Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So she's a three-year-old and a 76-year-old body. My father is a full-time caregiver. Now, he's a trained machinist and firefighter. He's not a trained caregiver. And if mom has a bad day, to no fault of her own, she doesn't even know what she's doing, my dad will have a bad day. And sometimes my dad will be really snippy with me on text messaging or if we get another phone call. But I understand he's under a tremendous amount of pressure. And as their only son, I'm just trying to give love to my father. I don't argue with my father because I know he's under a lot of pressure. I mean. That's, I mean, to be looking at your wife of 56 years and know that she's not there anymore and you have to caregiver. I mean, think about a three-year-old. Remember your kids when they're 10 and when the 10 and 12-year-olds were three-year-olds. I mean, they can't do anything. My mom literally can't do anything. I mean, she sits in front of the TV all day. She can't do anything. And so I know in the very beginning, I, I didn't catch myself. In the very beginning, my dad would call and be all angry and stuff like that. But then I started realizing, oh, it's not my dad being snippy at me. Mom had a bad day. She made a broken glass or she may have spilled the milk or whatever the case may be. But my dad is he's doing very well to cope with it. But still, he's under a tremendous amount of pressure. So what I do is I shower him with love, shower him with love and love, because that's what he needs. When you're under that much pressure, you don't need someone to say, you know, what you should do that. You should do this, this, this. You know, he's he is maxed out in his pressure. He just wants to talk. And if he has to vent, I let him vent. And that's just the way it is. I, I, I FaceTime my father every Sunday and I just try to get him to laugh. We talk about silly things because he hasn't have a, he can't talk to my mom. There's no conversation. A 79 year old can't talk to a three year old. It's not possible. And so he looks forward to those FaceTimes so him and I can have a great conversation. But the reason why I shared that story is because I understand why my father may be snippy, why my father may lash out, why my father, you know, may, get on the phone, start texting me like really angry, you know, text messages. I get it. I used to take offense to it. I don't take offense to it anymore because I know he's under stress. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a really powerful point. Nobody else he deals with in that day might know the same, right? So, and, and it may be that, you know, he can express that with you because you're safe because you love him and understand him. It may be he expresses that way with everybody. And so there is that space of when somebody is really angry, what else are they caring, right? Like what else mm-hmm. is going on in the background? And, and I'm really sorry, Mark, that's such a, such a hard situation, right? Yeah. Like the, these spaces that are like, they're so hard and people are coming with all of this stuff that they're dealing with. And I mean, and that, and part of that's life, like everyone has these times where they're going through stuff. And if we carry that kind of empathy for people, like nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks I'm going to put my jerk pants on. I'm going to go out <laughs> in the world and I'm going to piss everybody off. We don't do that. Right. No. Um, but what we do is that, you know, I carry my really awful conversation that I had with somebody else into my next conversation, whether I want to or not. Yes. Right. Whether I want to or not, it's still there. And if this next conversation reminds me at all of the last one, I'm right back there. Hmm. Right. Like you'll, you'll, uh, you'll hear people say things like this, like, you know, I've dealt with this before. No, you've dealt with something that felt like this before. Yes. Right? And that ability sometimes when you wonder if your dad's like angry at you versus angry at, because sometimes in there, in all of that hidden anger, there might be something that's angry at Mark. Right. Yeah, true. 
right? There might be. And so every once in a while, when you get uncertain, just asking, right? Like, are you frustrated with me or is this about your day to day? Yeah. Right. Like that's a safe question because it really shows empathy. It shows like, I really need to know like where you're at. Is this about what's been going on? Cause I know that things aren't easy. Yeah. Right? Is there something else we want to talk about? Uh, Excellent. Right. And that space yes. gives him, it invites him to say, Hey, I'm ready in here. If you have stuff you need to talk about with me. Right. Mm. And there yeah. might be stuff. There might be some desire for you to show up in a way you haven't been asked to show up yet. Right. Well, the, the, what makes it difficult is he's in he's south of Orlando. I'm in Houston. And, you know, there's really we're separated by the distance. So but I, I, I try to be there for my dad. I, you know, just try to be the best son I can. And um, he does much better in faith times. Uh, my dad <laughs> never my dad never touched an iPhone or a computer until about two and a half years ago. when My mom was diagnosed. She went off the cliff with Alzheimer's. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm real proud of my dad. I taught him how to use the iPhone, taught him how to use the Mac. And because he doesn't get a lot of, you know, people don't, he, they, they live in the 55 plus community. A lot of people don't drop by. And of course my mom, you know, think about three years old, my mom will come out just wearing her depends, you know? And so my dad, he can't be out in the front yard because my mom doesn't know. You remember a kid just walks outside naked. They don't, they don't know. And so my dad's constantly going to be, where's, where's my mom? And that's why we're trying to get him some private caregiving. Someone can sit with mom because mom will just wander anywhere. And and so my dad really likes the FaceTime because he doesn't really get to see people that often. And so I'm looking forward to uh, the next FaceTime, which will be later this afternoon. And uh, we'll talk about football. And one of the things we always joke about is, you know, I'm a capitalist. And my dad, every time someone signs a big multi-trillion dollar contract in sports, my dad calls me. Do you think anybody's worth this amount of money? I said, Dad, you know, I'm a capitalist. Okay. You know, if I wanted to charge a million dollars an hour for my coaching, you know, who cares? I may not get it, probably won't get it, but, you know, but he, him and I always have these conversations. I said, Dad, they're asking for it and the owners are paying it. So who's at fault, the player or the owner? I said, you don't, I, I don't pay anything to watch sports. I get everything over the air for free. So I don't pay, I don't buy jerseys or anything like that. But he, it's funny, we always say, Dad, you know, he used to work at Disney world for like 10 years. Him and mom used to work at Disney world and they get, they get paid like 12 bucks an hour or whatever the case might be. I said, dad, what if Disney wanted to charge a million dollars per person per day? Well, that's not right. I said, well, that's what you say, but you don't think you, they wouldn't get people showing up for a million dollars a day to be nobody in the park. You can hold park to yourself. I said, you know, but it's it, so I know with my father, I've known my father for 55 years. I know how I can get him to smile and laugh and, and see my point of view. Now I wouldn't do that with a stranger. Obviously, because I can get punched in the face. So you don't want that to happen. So um, it's a yeah. more gentle role with a stranger, right? Yes. And it's okay to say, like, here's where my politics are, mm-hmm. right? Or here's where my my views land. Yeah. Right. Here's where, right? Like this is where and and chances are they don't align with any actual like big party politics because our opinions are always a little different. Mm-hmm. Right. And here's, here's where like, like that stuff's okay. Where we get into trouble is when, is when I decide that I need to convince you. Yes. Right. So as a Canadian, my politics are very different than your politics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. My worldviews are different. My concepts of what capitalism is, what, 
medicine should look like many things are just mm-hmm. really different, but yeah. they're also different where I live to other places in Canada and they're different within groups We're we have an election going here too. Right now. I mean, my ballot has five parties, right? Like it looks, <laughs> it looks very different. Um, you know, we have minority government situations and like, it just like there are, there's different assumptions in the water even, but mm. sometimes those pieces Right. Or things that like you look from the outside and make no sense. Right. You look at you look from the outside of somebody who's all in capitalism and it makes no sense to somebody that isn't. Yeah. You look at somebody and they're all in socialism and from the outside, it makes no sense to someone who isn't. You look at somebody that believes in multi-party government and it looks chaotic to somebody from the outside. Right. And these these pieces that like if you're just looking at the label we often have problems, right? And when you go below the label, that's where you find a whole bunch of pieces that are really common, right? Like, you know, the seeing that, you know, there's value that people have a right to negotiate all of these pieces that get you to this view that that there's nothing wrong with that football player signing his $10 million contract. And to your dad being like, I'm not sure anybody should be worth that. And underneath those two opinions, there's a lot of common ground, but when yeah. you kind of jack them up to the labels, then they look really different. Yeah, very true. Well, listen, this has been a really engaging conversation. I want to thank you so much for coming on this LinkedIn Live. We probably could have talked for several hours, but um, this is a great stopping point. I want to tell everybody about your website now. Excuse me, raising up my uh, bifocal glasses so I can read the screen. Mindful, uh, pain of getting old. Uh, Mindfulresolution.ca slash productivity. What are we going to see when we go there? Um, so what that is, is mindfulresolution.ca is my website. It's a landing page for people that are viewing this video right now. Um, and what that does is it allows you to book a 30 minute free conflict, um, coaching consultation, which is basically just the beginning of, Hey, I'm having this conflict. What can I do? And I can give you first steps and a couple of recommendations. And that might be for further work with me. It might not be right. Often, often. Um, within the conflict resolution field, we refer people on more than we take clients ourselves because I need to get you to the right person to work on your conflict. Excellent. So mindfulresolution.ca slash productivity is where you can go get the information. And my website, as you know, mrproductivity.com. Go there, get my top five productivity tips and find out about my brand new digital productivity coaching program. I'm super duper excited about it. I can coach you. I can coach you for less than a dollar a day. And people are saying to me, are you kidding me? It's not a joke. It's all done on the phone. Who doesn't carry the phone with them? We all carry our phones with them. So I can coach you on the phone for less than a dollar a day. Now, you don't get any personal interaction with me on the Zoom call or it's all done via an app. But my clients on there absolutely love it. So go check it out, mrproductivity.com. Amanda, this has been so much fun. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Uh, You gave me a lot to think about. You also made me feel pretty good the way I'm dealing with my father. So I really, I feel like I came out of this unscathed. So thank you so much for being in the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. 
And just before we go, don't forget to register for my October 16th training, The Power and How of Routines. You can either click the link here in the show notes from this podcast episode, or you can click the banner of my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.